Hello, and thank you so much for joining me again. My name is Madam Butterfly. I am your host, and you are tuned into Frequency Bay. Um, I decided to, uh, I guess, get to the um, next few episodes that I have to finish in regards to the century of the self. Um, so I have one or two more um documentary series to go which are both about an hour long um and I'm going to uh I guess add these to my um add these to the podcast as bonus episodes because I'm coming up on my third season um and it's looking like I have a bunch of episodes that I want to put out and that I plan on putting out but at the same time I have to be pretty realistic about the amount of time that I'm willing to dedicate to my podcast, um, with everything else that I have going on. Um, and let's see here. Um, tomorrow, tomorrow's my birthday. Uh, I'll be the big three. Oh, very excited. And tomorrow I won't be doing any work at all. I'll be spending, you know, the day with my loved ones and whatnot. Um, and I will be looking to prepare for a couple things that I have going on in the future. Um, What else did I want to say? I'll probably end up cutting in half how many pop-up episodes that I plan to do. Because like I said, um, I have to be more realistic about the amount of time that I'm willing to dedicate to this podcast. Because it's just me. Like, I don't have, like, this huge team. Like, it's literally just me. So, uh, I can't clone myself, unfortunately. I'm not that awesome yet. Um, so, uh, I guess until I find uh, an adequate team to work with, um, I'll have to do the best that I can. But anyway, I'm not going to do a bunch of talking or a bunch of jabbering or whatnot. I'm just going to go ahead and get into this um the rest of this uh this documentary uh part four eight people sipping wine and, and kettling hopefully i said that right k-e-t-t-e-r-i-n-g gonna have to look that up later but anyway <laughs> like i said let's get into this this video um so as of right now we're about 30 minutes in with about 20 more minutes to go 25 at the most and um Right now, they're in the middle of a conversation where they're talking about what's-his-face. Bill Clinton, the husband of, uh, what's-her-name, the other Republican, Hillary Clinton. Yes, it just slipped my mind. Sorry about that. Uh, The husband of Hillary Clinton uh, at the time, she was, I'm guessing, the the first lady. And um, she was a good first lady, by the way. She was, she was, I, 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 I've always remembered Hillary Clinton as a woman who has been, um, pretty steadfast in her own, her own life in regards to what she wants to do with her life outside of her husband. Um, and like, I can't lie. I, part of me feels like that's part of the reason why their marriage has been able to last as long as it is. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad, but anyway, I'm going to go ahead and stop jabbering and get into the video. But they're in the process of, um, so 
Clinton has finished out his four years, and he is on the brink of not being reelected reelected again. He did get reelected again, and um, he's pulling on a team of people in order to help him to get reelected again. Which uh, I believe back in the early nineties, um, he was putting on a pretty like a pretty I don't want to say decent show, but definitely putting on a show in order to get like you know votes back in his corner in regards to getting him. Um, Re-elected. Let me turn this up. tried to inspire the country with the old democratic ideal, government spending to help the poor and disadvantaged. Tonight I want to talk with you about what government can do because I believe government must do more to put people to work now, to create a half a million jobs, jobs to rebuild our highways and airports, to renovate housing, to bring new life to rural communities and spread hope and opportunity among our nation's youth. Suburban voters who had been promised tax cuts were not inspired by Bill Clinton's vision. They felt betrayed and wanted revenge. Their opportunity came in 1994 with the congressional elections. The Republicans, led by Newt Gingrich, promised huge tax cuts and to dismantle the welfare system. The voters who had defected to Clinton switched sides yet again, and the Republicans won both houses of Congress well, I think it's a tremendous vote in favor of smaller government, lower taxes, and in a sense, a renewal of the Thatcher-Reagan tradition. And I think in that sense, it's pretty decisive. It means that the welfare state is going to be less hospitable for people who are not willing to take responsibility for their own situation. No question about it. I think this is, today is the beginning of the end of the welfare state. For Clinton, it was a disaster. When they say the welfare state, what they're talking about is the, dear God, (laughs) and my mother used to talk about this all the time when I was growing up. Um, She she would say something along the line of, you created a mess for people and you ruined their lives and they, they decided to, you know, reach for a handout talking about, you know, communities of color because everyone knows that communities, communities of color are what built America. 
originally, when we're talking about the colonization that originally happened in, in, in Morocco in relationship to what America is now, uh, America started off as part of Egypt very, very originally, way, way back. And America started off as Morocco. And America started very, very black. And it wasn't until America became colonized that it is what we see it as today. Um, And what my mother used to refer to was the way in which the people who were were involved in developing America and developing, you know, different parts of the world haven't got their their just due as far as reparations is concerned. Um, and how it makes all the sense in the world for them to get those reparations, but they just haven't. Primarily because in a lot in a lot of ways, um, people of color are still looked at as, you know, two fifths of a man or two thirds of a man, or whatever the fuck they used to say back in the day. Um and that's just not right. Um when when they talk about the welfare state, they talk about what the war on drugs did to the black community and communities of color because the war on drugs quote unquote was not a war on drugs it was a war on people and it was a war on people specifically of color because the way in which the quote unquote war on drugs well, first of all, in my opinion, I I believe very much that the war on drugs was something that was done very intentionally. Um, it was a quote unquote war on drugs that hit the hood. I mean, because it when when you look at the way the war on drugs quote unquote transpired, if you looked at the details, the way in which a lot of the police officers weren't trained for anything else but folks in the hood, they weren't trained for anything else but folks who who were of color brown and black people in marginalized communities they they were not really ready for people who were living in high rises and big houses and things of that nature and they openly a lot of different police officers are, are on record saying openly saying that they weren't trained to go after drugs in its entirety they were trained to go after, quote-unquote, the war on drugs in a specific way, in the way in which they were trained to go after the, quote-unquote, war on drugs is uh, racist. Period, point blank, it's racist. Uh, when you come down to the bare bones of it, it's fucking racist. Um, the police were trained to go after marginalized communities. They were trained to go after poor communities, poor people of color, and the quote-unquote easy target. And it translated into if you happen to be poor and black in America, you are in bad fucking shape. If you happen to end up black, poor, and female in America, you're, 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 like, you're just shit out of luck. 
Um, and the quote unquote war on drugs, in my opinion, was a hit from the government and the CIA. Um, because there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that went into putting communities of color in a position where they were upright before the war on drugs happened. Um, and, uh, I mean, you, you have, you slice it. It, it, and in my opinion, it comes down to just straight up racism, uh, coming out of our, our, our American government. Um, it's just as bad as the, you know, the redlining system, it's, which was a way to, you know, um, fuck black communities of color and, and, and marginalize black and brown people out of the race of um, being able to have generational wealth. I mean, there are very specific reasons, both psychological and ancestral. <laughs> I said that so wrong, but anyway. And, 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 and system, there were very systematic steps that went into putting people of color in the position where they could not create generational wealth for themselves. It goes beyond just buying a house, but buying a house is a really, really good, um, it's a good, uh, it's a good starting point, you know what I mean, as far as redlining is concerned, um, and that's just the, 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 the bareness of it. I mean, people really don't want to think or acknowledge that it might be racism. They don't want to acknowledge that it might be other than, you know, black people just being lazy. They don't want to acknowledge, you know, maybe there was some thought put into constructing, you know, uh, certain things in a certain way to put people in a certain position. They don't want to acknowledge that. But the reality of it is that when you look at democratic areas, when you look at marginalized areas and, and economically deprived areas, what you see is, whew, and I'm on my soapbox, but anyway, what you see is a certain engineering what you see is people playing by the rules and people not playing by the rules. Um, what you see is is nastiness. Yeah, what, what you fucking see is nastiness. You see um, people not playing by the rules. You see a lot of unfair shit and shit that needs to be checked, but the ultimate problem is, you know, uh, privilege. At the end of the day, it, it has a lot to do with privilege. A lot of it is surrounded um, around privilege. And everyone has privilege to a certain degree. But when you are a white woman who lives past everybody else around you, you automatically make more money. You, you, you automatically have more of the pot. And when you are an individual who is dying before everyone else around you, you automatically have less money. You automatically have less of the pot. And um, that in itself is its own conversation. I'm going to just stop there because I feel like I'm, I might be touching on a little bit too much. But anyway, 
Um, we've got a we got the rest of this uh, documentary to get back into, so I'm just gonna go ahead and play it for you guys. Faced with a hostile Congress, there was no way for him to get his reforms through. His personal popularity plummeted, and it seemed certain he would not be re-elected in two years' time. In desperation, and without telling his cabinet, Clinton turned for help to one of America's most ruthless political strategists, Dick Morris. What did he want you to do? Save his butt. <laughs> Clinton was in serious trouble. Uh, he had uh, lost the 94 election. He had lost control of Congress, and he hired me to come back and help save him. Uh, so he was basically asking me to perform roughly the same role as a life preserver would if you're drowning. What Morris told Clinton was that to win re-election, he would have to transform the very nature of politics. The crucial swing voters in the suburbs now thought and behaved like consumers. The only way to win them back was to forget all ideology and instead turn politics into a form of consumer business. Clinton must try to identify their personal desires and whims and then promise to fulfill them. If he followed those consumer rules, they would follow him. I said that I felt the most important thing for him to do was to bring to the political system the same consumer rules philosophy that we, that the business community has. Because I think politics needs to be as responsive to the whims and the desires of the marketplace as business is. Uh, and it should, needs to be as sensitive to the bottom line, profits or votes, as a business is. I think that all of this involves really a changed view of the voters. So that instead of treating them as targets, you treat them as owners. Instead of treating them as someone, something that you can manipulate, you treat them as something you need to learn from. And instead of feeling that you can stay in one place and you can manipulate the voters, you need to learn what they want and move yourself to accommodate it. To get inside the minds of the swing voters, Morris brought lifestyle marketing into politics for the first time. He went to one of America's most prominent market research firms called Penn & Schur and commissioned what they called a neuropersonality poll. It was a massive survey of hundreds of thousands of voters. But the only political questions it asked were to find out whether someone was a swing voter or not. All the other questions were intimate psychological ones, designed to see whether swing voters fell into identifiable psychological types. Well, we were asking people like, um, you know, do you think you're the life of the party? Uh, do you think uh, when you when you see things that uh, you like to have a list and organize them? Uh, do you uh, do you typically? Again, I want to say um, these questions that he's talking about sound eerily like the questions that you answer when you um, are about to embark on a contract with a company and go into employment. Um, and I find I find that quite quite. Quite ironic. Um, I don't think anybody's wait. Yeah, I I haven't taken the time to figure out if anybody's um come out with like a uh, a not a documentary, but just like a a speech on 
what exactly that is and why exactly employers are so interested in, you know, finding out why it's so necessary to have those personality tests that you take or those personality assessments that you take in regards to your um your employment and in relationship to like your your contract um still an industry secret or it seems like an industry secret um but I, I I found that kind of eerie, personally. Uh, you know, try to plan things ahead, or do you like to be more spontaneous? Um, where do you like to go? What sports do you like to play? What would you do with your spouse in a romantic uh, weekend? So we were asking people some very personal questions about their own lives to try to see where the kinds of people that were likely to change their vote also possessing of certain kinds of personality traits and and the other thing that i want to say is that they still do this um i think it was in the around the obama election that they started to use or and or openly use or openly being caught using ideology like this um, in relationship to, I think it was like Pandora, the um, the streaming, like the music streaming app. Um, but I, I can't help but feel like this feels really familiar. I'm almost positive that this is what Democrats do in order to um, persuade uh, the the vote in relationship to their policies. personality poll allowed the Clinton team to segment swing voters into different lifestyle types. They were given names like pools and patios, or caps and gowns who were urban intellectuals living in university towns. From this, the team could identify ways in which they could make individuals feel more secure in their chosen lifestyles, just as business had learned to do with products. Dick Morris called it small bore politics tiny details of people's lives and personal anxieties, which politics had never even thought about or noticed before, but which now had become the key to winning power. It was an America that focused on day-to-day practical concerns. Should I wear seatbelts? Should I stop smoking? Uh, Should I wear a school uniform? Uh, Is my neighborhood being protected? It was a not so much a new individualism as the social order as we had known it had broken down. So we got into people's heads, understood their psychology about lifestyle, about values, what they thought was important, what issues they wanted politicians and particularly the president to address. And these issues proved to be very, very different from what the conventional wisdom had suggested. As the election campaign began, Clinton revealed Morris's new approach to a shocked White House. All traditional policies were to be dropped. Instead, he would concentrate exclusively on policies that targeted the worries of the swing voters. V-chips would be fitted into televisions to prevent children from watching pornography. And mobile phones would be fitted into school buses to make parents feel more secure. Dick Morris also persuaded the president to spend his leisure time in the same way as particular groups of swing voters. He sent Clinton on a hunting holiday dressed in exactly the Gore-Tex outfits a group called Big Sky Families liked. 
So I just want to point out the fact that I find it ironic that when uh, I find it really ironic when when communities of color do shit like this, it's frowned upon. But when other communities of communities do shit like this, like it's it's just normal everyday business. Like it's just normal everyday existence. Um this I don't I don't know. Like when I'm I'm watching this and I'm listening to this, like I can't help but think of that song. Um what's it called? Like the hook goes, um you wanna see some ass, I wanna see some cash. <laughs> Oh my god. And like it's the most raunchiest song you've ever heard. But why is it that it's okay when I our politicians do it or our presidents do it and like they're pretty much just like out there for the vote, you know what I mean? And that's their sole purpose and their sole goal is to walk away with more votes than their competitor. Um, This man is absolutely a man who is pay for play 24-7. He did it with, what's her face? What was it? Uh, Monica Lewinsky? (laughs) Poor girl. That poor woman. Like, I... You got to be able to know a narcissist when you fucking with one. I just, no matter how much power they have, you have to know a narcissist when you are in, in, interacting with one, whatever the power dynamic may be, and, 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 and take your fucking power back. Because, I mean, this is a man who thinks with his penis Monday through Sunday. My mother met. Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton on a few occasions, and found him flirting with her on on more than one occasion. And um, this man is a man who 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 loves sex. He loves pretty women. He loves, um, I don't know. I guess hookers and blow. <laughs> um, I I don't know. Um, but this is a man that loves earthly things um bill clinton is a man's man and um he's your average guy you know what i mean like just just your your average dude that you know has i guess aspirations in life which is commendable definitely um but he he's the type of man that needs to keep his dick in his pants um i don't really know how hillary clinton does it but my hat's off to that woman in regards to her marriage with this man. Um, I don't know. Maybe she's hanging from the chandelier. And we just don't know it. I, I'm not sure. Anyway, I'm going to get back to the uh, to the documentary. Bows back to them. The liberals in Clinton's cabinet hated this approach. I would say, well, Dick, why have a campaign? This was the 1996 campaign. If all the president is going to do is offer up these little bite-sized miniature initiatives that appeal to people's uh, desires, uh, like consumers, 
buying soap, uh, of beach hips that you could put in your tele televisions so you could make sure that your children did not have pornography and, and school uniforms. Why talk about them? They're, they're, they're so mundane and they're so tiny. And he would say back, if we don't do this, we may not get reelected. Uh, and I would say, what's the point of getting, getting reelected if you have no mandate to do anything when you're reelected? And he'd say, what's the point of having a mandate if you can't get reelected? Isn't the ultimate goal getting reelected? <laughs> but Morris's new politics were an extraordinary success. Clinton's ratings among the swing voters began to soar. And Dick Morris, along with the marketeer Mark Penn, took effective charge of making White House policy. Mark Penn set up a huge call center in an office block in Denver. And every night, hundreds of telephone operators called swing voters in suburbs across the country to check with them every detail of policies that Clinton was proposing. The policy was made by a group of people manning telephones in Denver, Colorado, placing calls to voters in places like Westchester and uh, Pasadena and asking them what they wanted from their government um, and asking them very specifically about specific policies that Bill Clinton was considering. Would you be more likely to support him if he offered this particular government service or if he offered that one? Those people told them what they thought. Mark Penn transmitted that to Bill Clinton and it came out of his mouth. So essentially it was suburbanite voters. Suburban voters in the 90s were creating American domestic policy and some of its foreign policy as well. Yeah, Mark Penn was polling on questions like whether we should bomb in Bosnia, things like that. Morris also insisted that Clinton make a symbolic sacrifice of the old politics to convince the swing voters to trust him. In August 1996, Clinton signed a bill which ended the system of guaranteed help for the poor and unemployed. Welfare would be cut back after two years in order to force people into work. The new system was called Welfare to Work and would, he said, be a hand up, not a handout. It was the effective end of the guaranteed welfare system created by President Roosevelt 60 years before. For many in Clinton's cabinet, it was also the end of the progressive political ideal that Roosevelt had represented. The belief that one used a position of leadership to persuade the voters to think and behave as social beings, not as self-interested individuals. Dick Morris and the pollsters had won. And by that I mean that the people who ultimately got to the president, shaped the president's mind, were those who viewed the voters as just a collection of individual desires that had to be... <clears throat> so, um, I can't help but, like, I can't, <laughs> I can't, um, I can't, I, I, I can't, I, um, I, I can't, um, it makes no sense to me that with the war on drugs, which was just a disguise as to, 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 to basically wage war on, on marginalized communities and marginalized people, black and brown people, um, why they would think that they deserve anything less than a handout after the mess that the 
after the mess that the quote-unquote war on drugs made, a handout is exactly what they needed and deserved because the war on drugs ruined families. It ruined lives and is still ruining lives till this day. This man is no longer in office. I don't think that Bill Clinton will ever be running again. But his policies that he made while he was president are still in effect today and they're still having an effect on people's lives today. So this idea that... This idea that um, it's necessary to give these people something that they need to work for, I mean, is disgusting in my my personal opinion. Um, And, like, it must be some some bougie-ass ridiculous ass, racist ass people who are front and fucking center in our government that are pushing finances and pushing money because that's exactly what these politicians that that, these, that are running for office need. So who, whose ass do they have to lick at the end of the day? People who are racist. People who have racist agendas. People who have racist agendas with money. And money that is corrupt and money that comes from what they were doing when they were back on that plantation um which is absolutely disgusting period point blank um but yeah let me i just i wanted to say that suggests that democracy is nothing more and should be nothing more than pandering to these unthought about very primitive desires. Primitive in the sense that they are not even necessarily conscious of just what people want in terms of satisfying themselves. And the same triumph of the politics of the self was about to happen in Britain too. In 1994, Tony Blair had become the leader of the Labour Party, and the reforming group centred around Peter Mandelson became all-powerful. Almost every night, Philip Gould ran focus groups with swing voters in the suburbs. But this time, he was listened to, and the desires and the fears of the new aspirational classes became the central force shaping Labour Party policies. In that period, I was talking to people who used to vote Conservative and were considering voting Labour, and they wanted understood that they are financially pressed and that there are limits to uh, the extent to which taxation can be improved. They, they think that crime is an issue that matters to them and should be uh, respected. They, you know, they want welfare to go to people who deserve welfare, not to people um, who do not. This was seen of by many in the Labour Party as selfish. I never saw that it was selfish. I believed that. You know, a dad or a mum 
doing the best for their family isn't selfish. They're just doing the best for their family, and that's what people do. A crackdown on those who make life hell in their local neighborhoods through noise or disturbance. Law and order is a labor issue today. Philosophy of campaigning is let's concentrate on swing voters, let's focus group them to find out what they want and what will appeal to them, and let's just relentlessly push those themes in the election. Something is happening to you. After promising to put money in your pocket, the Conservatives are quietly taking it away. Philip Gould was, was crucial because he gave the raw material, if you like, for these politicians to do uh, this kind of politics. In that when he came up with stuff, they'd follow it, you know, pretty much without exception. Blur himself would pour over these sort of 12-page memos and say, well, this is what we must do. We want people to earn more and consume the good things of life. We want people to pay lower taxes. Gordon Brown says a Labour government would hold the main tax rates unchanged. The Labour government will not increase the basic rate of tax. I want to make it clear that I will not increase tax. In fact, the Labour Party does stand with the middle income those that aspire to do better, to get on in life, and be ambitious for themselves and their families, will do better with Labour. Groups of eight people drinking wine and nibbling, you know, Cheerios, um, what they thought determined effectively everything that the Labour Party did. And although those running the campaign like to portray the new approach as their invention, it was in fact copied from the Americans even down to the phrases that the American marketeers had tested on their swing voters. Peter Mandelson and his team were in the United States watching what we did and copied almost verbatim our approach in their 1997 campaign. The benefit system should be about giving people a hand up, not just a handout. Well, Mandelson's not a fool if he's anything. He saw something that works, so why not do it? I can remember reading their manifesto and saying to myself, they just took it like stock and barrel. You know, on one hand, you're proud, and on another hand, you're just a son of a bitch. As in America, <laughs> Labour was forced to drop policies that would not directly benefit the swing voters, even if it meant sacrificing its fundamental principles. The commitment to public control of industry, which was enshrined as Clause 4 of the party constitution, was dropped. The aim of Clause 4 had been to use the collective power of the people to challenge the unfettered greed of business. But now, Tony Blair was faced with crucial voters who no longer saw themselves as exploited by the free market. They saw themselves as individual consumers who were fulfilled and given identity by what business delivered them. The new Clause 4 promised not to control the free market, but to let it flourish. Business is more powerful than government. It is quicker, it is more creative. Business is the lifeblood of the country. From this come all the benefits that society needs. Employment, investment. I think, frankly, there is only one party getting business right, and that's New Labour. What New Labour did, it suits people who exert power in society not through the political system or not through the democratic political system, so it suits big business, and it suits entrenched interests, and it suits the status quo. 
Um, you know, those three things, of course, just off the top of my head, being the things that the Labour Party is supposed to be, you know, a counterforce to. What that means is big business get to carry on exerting their power behind the scenes, getting their way, because there's no countervailing pressure. Countervailing pressure isn't going to come from, you know, eight people sipping wine in Kettering. Here he goes, turning an awful lot of other blue seats red as well. Those who masterminded Labour's victory in 1997 saw it as a triumphant vindication of a new form of democracy. By understanding and fulfilling people's inner desires through the focus group, they were giving power to individuals, not treating them as faceless groups who were told by politicians what was good for them. I don't believe, I don't see the focus group as some marketing tool. I see the focus group as a way hearing what the people have to say and I see the focus group as a way to a new form of politics what the people give the people can take away we are the servants they are the masters now 1997 was I think fundamentally important in that because I think it is the end the end of the uh, elitist politics that's dominated for so much of the last uh, hundred years. In 1939, Edward Bernays, Sigmund Freud's nephew, created a vision of a future world in which the consumer was king. It was at the World's Fair in New York, and Bernays called it Democracity. It was one of the earliest and most dramatic portrayals of a consumerist democracy, a society in which the needs and desires of individuals were read and fulfilled by business and the free market. The World's Fair created a spectacle in which all of these concerns were met, and they were met by Westinghouse and General Motors and the American Cash Register Company, and company after company presented itself as this sort of centerpiece of a society in which human desire and human want and human anxiety would all be responded to and would be all be met purely through the free enterprise system. There was this sort of notion that the free market was something that was not guided by ideologies or by political power. It was something that simply was guided by the people's will. This was the model of democracy that both New Labour and the American Democrats had bought into in order to regain power. They had used techniques developed by business to read the desires of consumers, and they had accepted Bernays' claim that this was a better form of democracy. But in reality, the World's Fair had been an elaborate piece of propaganda designed by Bernays and his clients, the giant American corporations. Privately, Bernays did not believe that true democracy could ever work. He had been profoundly influenced in this by his uncle's theories of human nature. Freud believed that individuals were not driven by rational thought, but by primitive, unconscious desires and feelings. And Bernays believed that this meant it was too dangerous to let the masses ever have control over their own lives. And consumerism was a way of giving people the illusion of control 
while allowing a responsible elite to continue managing society. It's not that the people are in charge, but that the people's desires are in charge. The people are not in charge. The people exercise no decision-making power within this environment. So democracy is reduced from something which assumes an active citizenry to something which now increasingly is predicated on the idea of the public as passive consumers, the public as people who essentially what you're delivering them are doggy treats. Wow. The problem for New Labour was that it believed the propaganda. They took at face value the idea promoted by business that the systems invented to read the consumer's mind could form the basis for a new type of democracy. Once in power, New Labour tried to govern through a system that Philip Gould called continuous democracy. But what worked for business in designing products led the Labour government into a bewildering maze of contradictory whims and desires. For much of Labour's first term, the focus group said that the railways were not a high priority, and Labour's policies faithfully reflected this. But now, those same groups are blaming the government for not having invested more money sooner in the railways. The point about focus group politics is that there isn't one because people are contradictory and irrational, and so... Working from home isn't working anymore. Why? Delivering everything I need to get back to the... You have a problem in terms <laughs> of deciding what you're going to do if all you do is actually listen to a mass of individual opinions that are forever fluctuating and don't really have any coherence and crucially are not set in context. So that's why people can say, you know, um, I want lower taxes and better public services. Of course they do. You know, if you say, um, do you want to pay more taxes to get better public services? People are less sure. They then don't believe that if they do pay more taxes, they will be spent on better public services. So you end up in this quagmire where, you know, the truth is a politician has to say, look, this is what I believe. I believe that you should pay slightly more taxes to, to make better public services, and I pledge that I'm confident enough to actually use that money wisely. Do you want that vote for me, yes or no? And that's what Blair has failed to do. Tony Blair turns around and sort of tries to feed back to them what they already believe. And given what, the, what they believe is sort of a load of individual um, in, incoherent, contradictory nonsense, that's all he has to offer. And then he wonders why people don't get him. And the answer they don't get him is because they're looking for someone to do something that they can't do themselves, which is actually come up with a coherent political opinion that they might have faith in. New Labour are faced with a dilemma. The system of consumer democracy that they have embraced has trapped them into a series of short-term and often contradictory policies. There are now growing demands that they fulfill a grander vision, that they use the power of government to deal with the problems of growing inequality and the decaying social fabric of the country. But to do this, they will have to appeal to the electorate to think outside their own self-interest. And this would mean challenging the now dominant Freudian view of human beings as selfish, instinct-driven individuals, which is a concept of human beings has been fostered and encouraged by business because it produces ideal consumers. Although we feel we are free, in reality, we, like the politicians, have become the slaves of our own desires. We have forgotten that we can be more than that, that there are other sides to human nature.
fundamentally, here we have two different views of human nature and of democracy. You have the view that people are irrational, that they are bundles of unconscious emotion. Uh, that comes directly out of Freud. And businesses are very able to respond to that. That's what they have honed their skills doing. That's what marketing is really all about. What are the symbols, the music, the images, the words that will appeal to these unconscious feelings? Politics must be more than that. Politics and leadership are about engaging the public in a rational discussion and deliberation about what is best and treating people with respect in terms of their rational abilities to debate what is best. If it's not that, if it is Freudian, if it is basically a matter of appealing to the same basic unconscious feelings that business appeals to, then why not let business do it? Business can do it better. Business knows how to do it. Business, after all, is in the business of responding to those feelings. I see trees of green, red roses too. All right, folks, so that is everything that I've got. That is the end of part four documentary series. Um, and there's one more, one or two more, I believe. Probably just one more. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've got one more and um, that'll be it. Um, and I want to talk a little bit before I go about um, how I think that this particular ideology they had spoken about in this series worked so well um well first off this is european ideology so let's just start there this is a european government system that we're talking about in america and america is the testing ground for a lot of stuff that goes uh across the water and um let's see here what else um european ideology um fuck where was i going with that european ideology is an ideology that is a naturally flawed ideology and in relationship to european ideology if you remember back in the early days, uh, it was a slave master type of mentality. I'm talking before um, the colonization of Africa and whatnot. I'm talking about um, when the monarchy was around. Um, and during that time, um, the way things worked were either you were a peasant or you were a person in power. And those peasants were called, um, dis not disciples, but people who you would quote unquote govern as, you know, I guess the, the head person in charge. And 
So it makes sense that eventually you would get to the place where this type of way of operating wouldn't work anymore. And um, while this that old ideology that used to work worked then, coming into this new ideology now it makes all the sense in the world that it would work first off because this is something that people are ready for people are leaning more towards a liberal ideology because they believe that that's what's going to get them what they want most of all at the end of the day and not realizing that that a lot of what democrats and liberals have to bring to the table um is just filled with malice and manipulation and doesn't have um, the correct kind of um, the correct um, intentions at the end of the day. So if the intention is off, something like that has the power to throw off the axis of what a healthy government and what a healthy uh, Democrat or, or not a Democrat, but a healthy democracy is and how it operates. And it creates a breeding ground for you to have a, a, a poor relationship with your democracy long term, which is exactly what they want because <clears throat> control over democracy is the name of the game at the end of the day. Um, you don't want people with authentic and, and genuine autonomy. They only want people who think that they have you know, uh, genuine and authentic autonomy at the end of the day. They only want you to think that you have your rights at the end of the day, but they're not actually going to teach you what your rights are because if they did, then that would mean that you would know what your rights are. And a completely informed individual is is, is a person who who's a, a terrible slave. So um, I think the most unfortunate part about... Unf- I think the most unfortunate part about all of this is the fact that we're definitely still operating in a manner in which is a slave master mentality. And um, it isn't until people become more informed and more aware of how the system is work has been working and how it's working now is when we'll be able to create something different for ourselves and those around us. Um, and uh, I think it's possible, but it's going to take work and a collective move and relationship to some people who are, you know, interested in that. And I, I don't think everyone is. Um, everyone is there yet. I, I, I won't say that everyone's not interested in it. I, I'll, I'll say that everyone is not there yet, which is okay. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's okay that that's not the case at the moment. Um, but I, um, yeah, people are going to have to face their own demons at the end of the day. But, um, with that being said, thank you so much for tuning in and joining me and hanging out with me this far. Excuse me. If you decided to stick with me up until now, I definitely appreciate it. Um, uh, Madam Butterfly out. Thank you.